Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, June 4th, 2023, called Giving Thanks for the Holy Trinity, given on Trinity Sunday by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, God's grace and His mercy and His peace are yours in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Trinity Sunday. Trinity Sunday. So we don't often uh, have you do the Nicene Creed in this service. It's long, isn't it? Um, we usually have you do the Apostles' Creed. That's our, that's our baptismal creed, and that one is more ancient by about 300 years than that one, that Nicene Creed. And the Nicene Creed came about because there were questions about the divinity of Jesus Christ. That was what was happening. And so that one came about, to set that middle section on Jesus is much longer. And so it more clearly says that. And then following that, there came a great big controversy. And I want to see how many of you, I know there's a couple of you sitting right there, can remember the day, if you grew up in this faith tradition, where on Trinity Sunday you read the Athanasian Creed together. Okay, come on. Let's see them. Anybody? Yeah, not very many, right? You read the Athanasian Creed. If you have your phone and you just go, Athanasian Creed, you check it out. It might take a minute for it to download. Um, I, seriously, it is, it's a thing. It, it's a thing. And it focuses in on, right? So Apostles' Creed, baptism, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Nicene Creed, second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. Is he truly God, fully God, fully man? And then Athanasius, the debate was once again about the Trinity and the divinity of Christ. It's really not named after Athanasius. It's named to honor him. Because when Constantine, sorry, please don't glaze on me. Hang on there. This is good history. So the Christianity becomes legal. Emperor Constantine makes Christianity legal after three centuries. And then he, um, he kind of says, hey, what do you Christians believe? He, wasn't, he wasn't really a Christian. Don't let Father Constantine tell you otherwise. He wasn't really a Christian. And he goes, hey, what do you guys really believe? And, he go, and so they put these people together. Well, guess who became a friend of the emperor? A guy named Arius. And Arianism was one of the great heresies of the church. And he was a buddy. He became a buddy of the emperor. And he's kind of whispering in his ear. And so he's like, well, there's this big problem right? If Jesus is a created being, he can't really be God. So Athanasius got wind of this. He was another bishop in the church, and he lost his mind, popped a gasket, blew a tire, and he got so angry, and he went, and he made it his life's ministry and quest to root out that heresy which said that Jesus Christ was not truly God. I'll tell you why it matters here in just a minute. I'll tell you why. But we used to do that. We used to make you read that creed. It'd take like 10 minutes. You'd read this thing. And what's crazy about it is there's stuff in there that needs some splaining. Because it says things like, if you do good, you go to heaven. And if you do bad, you go straight to hell. Do not collect. Go. Do not collect. You know, count $200. Right? So, um, and we go, Lutherans, don't, we don't like that part. So it's a hard, it's a tricky one. But what I wanted to do was share with you on the Trinity, and I want you to hang in there with me for a minute. I promise, I hope I can give you something worth taking home, something that's important. 
Because here's the deal. We went, Chris and I went to a conference, a pastor's conference, and the guy who was speaking was speaking on how to better teach the Trinity. And we learned almost nothing about how to teach it better, which was really sad to me. And if you're getting this online, you can take that as a critique of it. So we didn't learn, because we're all, we're all looking for that. As pastors, we get asked this a lot. How does this Trinity thing work? What do you mean, Trinity thing? Don't you worship three gods? What's the deal? How can Jesus really be God? Isn't he, who's he praying to? What's going on? What happens on the cross? You got all these questions. They're good questions. And every once in a while, and by the way, the best teachers in your life, didn't you discover this? That the best teachers in your life every once in a while said, I don't know. Yes? Not the ones who thought they had the answers to everything or made up stuff to look smart. The best ones were the most humble ones who said, you know, I don't know. But let's talk about why that's important. Let's talk about why that's a topic that continues to discuss. So here's the thing. He said this. He did say some helpful things. Don't get me wrong. It was good because it prompted these thoughts. He said, number one, he said, it's really good when you worship to stop and see, is the Trinity reflected in your worship service? And I went, oh, that's an interesting question. I have never thought of that. So, you know, I go through our traditional stuff and it's all over the place. I mean, it's just everywhere. It's just everywhere. And then in this service too, lots of it, right? But less, not as much. You know why? Because in this service, we're trying to lower barriers a little bit, make it a little bit easier to come to Jesus, right? A little bit easier to understand that. If you get real traditional, there's some more barriers, a little more barriers, language and stuff like that. And at five o'clock, there's Trinity in there, but we're trying to lower barriers again, right? So people have access to Christ and the truth and the gospel and the love of God, right? Get me? There you go. We just gave away our plan, our secret plan. Um, so what we try to do is this. So we asked that. That was good to stop and say, I want the Trinity reflected in worship. It should always be reflected in worship. Then he said this. He said, he said unfortunately for many people, and he said, sadly, many pastors they either say it's too hard to teach about, therefore all they say is this, well, it's a mystery, and you just got to live with it. Or they do this, they take an analogy, and they say, okay, let me explain the Trinity to you. So like here's one that I've used as an illustration. So let's say I'm preaching here, and my son David comes running in, he's got a big gash on his head, it's bleeding. And he comes up and goes, Dad, someone ran into Mom and me in the car parking lot. Mom's unconscious. Okay. So it's in the middle of the sermon. So what do I got? I'm your pastor preaching to you. I'm David's dad, Teresa's husband. No problem. There's the Trinity. Sweet, right? Got it? That's a heresy, actually. That's an ancient heresy. It's called modalism. And so because I can't be all three of those things and function in them at the same time. Get it? I can't do it at the same time. i got to stop and be his dad or his, her husband or your pastor. I can't do it all at the same time. Or here's another one. Water, right? The great water illustration. right? Liquid, solid, vapor. But it's all the same substance, right? H2O, just the molecules move at different speed. Got it, right? There's the Trinity. Sweat, no. Sabellianism, it's another ancient heresy. <laughs> it's another ancient heresy. And again, it's because those substances can't function as the other substances at the same time. See? In one or the other. Here's the funny thing, though. I have taught those things. I have said to people, it's a mystery. And we should just stand in glory and awe of God's wonder, in wonder of God's majesty. 
I have also used those illustrations. I have never said it's not worth talking about and therefore it's just a mystery, don't think about it anymore. I have never said that. I don't know a pastor who has ever said that. I don't know a pastor who has ever said, oh, it's like water and therefore it's all cinched up. You got it now? We have all said always, thank God there is a mystery to how God has revealed his love and grace. You know what the greatest mystery is? That I'm standing here getting to do this gig in front of you. I, I have no deserving pieces about me to do that. And yet this sinner has been redeemed and called by you to serve you. Uh, you talk about someone with a sense of humor. God's got it. And in the same way that there is this cross and that, and that God would take on human flesh and die that criminal, horrifying death, and yet that's the glory of God? That is the high point of this done. It's a mystery, okay? But it's a mystery that God has revealed to us and by which we can never get to the bottom of. And I say on that aspect, thanks be to God. I need a God bigger than the gray matter in my skull. I need a God bigger. And this world needs a God far bigger than that. And yet we are so tempted to want to contain God. Put him in a box, cinch it up, add it up at the bottom. Okay, it adds up. Check. Thank God you don't have a God like that. And on the other hand, thank God that we can use some illustrations like water or father, husband, pastor to be able to give you a hint. To give you a hint. So I did this wedding up there in, uh, outside of Mackey, you know, 20 miles uh, west of Mackey. And it was great. I did the sermon and I, I used this text. For this reason, a man leaves his father and mother, he's united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. I always love to teach folks about that. There's math in the Bible. One plus one equals one. Because it gives you a hint at the mystery and wonder of the triune God. One plus one plus one equals one. How does that work? My calculator does not function that way. I can never get my calculator to come up with that answer. But my faith clings to it. My faith hangs on to it. So what I want to do is give you two things. I want to tell you, because here's the thing, I don't ever want you, like someone comes to you. So for instance, in our culture, right, with uh, the, the LDS around us, th this is not a confession of faith. This is just not part of their thing. Tr the tri-unity is not a thing. And so you, you might get challenged. Well, how can you believe that? And I don't want you to say, well, it's a mystery. My pastor said it's a mystery. Can't talk about it. You know? Or secondly, or secondly it's like, uh, well, let me, let me tell you. It's like water. And as you do this and this and this and this. Got it? It's, you can't use, it's not either one of those things. So I'm going to give you more than you want. Maybe you'll hook on to one or two things. Let's see what you got. Okay? Two sections. There's seven points, but here you go. Here's the first thing. This is what we know. This is what Scripture teaches us. We know these five things. First of all, there is one God. There are three great monotheisms in the world. Two of those monotheistic religions say that we are not. There's Judaism, Islam, Christianity. Both Islam and Judaism will say, you're polytheists. You believe in three gods. And we say, no. We confess the very same thing that the Jews have confessed forever. It is the heartbeat of their whole religion, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. It's called the great Shema. Shema is a Hebrew word which means 
Listen up, everybody. And in listening to this, you better do it, too. It's not just, don't just say, oh, I hear you. Um, do it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That's the great Shema. There is one God. You will have no other gods before me. You know those little brass plates on the Jewish doors that are in an angle? It's called a mezuzah. That little scroll is inside of everyone. Shema Israel, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. Lord is one. One God. We confess that same scripture, absolutely, without reservation and in every way. Here's the second thing. So that's number one. There is one God. Secondly, but there are three persons in one God. We love to talk about it this way. As we go through Scripture, we go along, and it's everything from, like, did you see it there in, um, well, no, I'll do it in point three. I'll do that in point three. Um, as you're going along, and I call them thing, things that make you go, hmm, what's happening there? Here's this Jesus fella. Look at what he's doing. He's, he's forgiven sins. Only God can forgive sins. He's raising people from the dead. He, has, he rules over life and death. He's walking on water. People are worshiping him. And he's not telling them to knock it off. Things that make you go, hmm. You read about the scapegoat. You read about the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in the Passover. Sin of the people, protects them from the death, from the angel of death. So the second thing is there are th we say there are three persons in one God. I don't know how that works. We had communion at 8.30. By the way, I have no idea how Jesus' body and blood is physically present in that bread and wine. Because it remains bread and wine, but Jesus says, this is my body and blood. So we believe it is added to there. I don't know how he does it. I don't know. But I'm... I'm not, I don't think he's lying to me. Because if he's lying to me about that, you got to wonder. And so he's not lying. We take him at his word. So the second one is there are three persons in one God. And then thirdly, here's a third one. Scripture teaches it from the very beginning. Now, did you catch it here? This is kind of a quiz, and I don't want you to answer because I don't want anyone to be embarrassed, okay? Because I say, it's a couple of, a little bit, it's just easy. You can see the Trinity right in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God, right? You could say the Father, right? God created the heavens and the earth. You could say that. In the beginning, God created. The earth was formless and empty, and the Spirit of God, that Hebrew word is ruach, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. Okay, three persons of the Trinity. Not too hard. Two of them are easy, right? In the beginning, God, and the Spirit of God. When I talked to the rabbi years ago, I said, how come you don't think that that's an indication of the Trinity? He said, oh, that just means wind. And the wind was blowing over the... And I go, there's no earth yet. There's no heavenly bodies or nothing. That's a wind which originates from God. That's the Holy Spirit. Anyway. How about Jesus? You got Jesus, second person of the Trinity? Now, a lot of people will say he's the light, right? Because John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. That's a good guess. However, light is a created thing. And Jesus is not created. How does John say it? 
In the beginning, John chapter 1, Gospel of John, in the beginning was what? The Word. So where's the second person of the Trinity? And God said. So we see it right from the beginning. John certainly saw it. That's why he wrote it. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Nothing was made that has been made without Him. He's right there in creation. All three wrapped up in one. And then you get that crazy reference later in the chapter. We left out a bunch of the chapter. Sorry, Susan. And it says, let us make God in our image. Well, that's crazy. Who's this us we're talking about? Who's he talking to? So anyway, so here's the thing. When we get into these things, we see all kinds of explanations. Augustine tried to explain it. Augustine talks. Here's an old, old story about Augustine. He's taking a walk, trying to write about the Trinity, and his mind is like exploding. And he comes across a kid, has a little bucket, and he's taking a bucket of the water out of the ocean, walks up the beach and dumps it on the sand, and goes back and gets another bucket and keeps going. And Augustine looks at this for a little bit and goes up and says, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm emptying the sea out onto the land. And the bishop, Augustine, he says, hey, this is absurd. It's impossible to do that. And the child said, yes, but I'll drain the sea before you understand the Trinity. It's certainly not a true story. It's a legendary story, right? I could just imagine my three-year-old grandson, and you will empty out the sea before you whatever. <laughs> Luther said this. I appreciate this quote. To try to deny the Trinity endangers your salvation to try to comprehend the trinity endangers your sanity but then this one i think gets to the point too this is an anonymous quote i don't know who said this faith and knowledge are two different things faith makes us into obedient servants but knowledge only makes us trivia experts it's as if jesus is saying to us like when we go okay can you explain the trinity jesus is saying hold your questions to the end right now your primary task is loyalty and obedience, or faith, right? Trust. Your primary task is loyalty and obedience. We don't like that answer, do we? Explain it to me. Make it make sense. And what makes sense is we have a God so great, so far greater than us, that he is making as much sense as we can handle. And he has revealed a great deal to us. Okay, fourth thing. So Scripture teaches it from, from the very beginning. All the way along, we see Scripture teaching. These, these things happen. This Jesus, this divine breath of God, um, the angel of the Lord. We, we, we have all of these hints all the way along through Scripture in which Christians have said, look, we're not going to dismiss those. We're not going to ignore them. We're not going to try to create a separate doctrine for them. We're going to say, we see God, and yet we know God is one. So anyway, fourth point, and this one is key, our salvation depends upon it. Because here's the deal, and I'll just say it this simply. If Jesus Christ is not truly God, you've you got a big problem. If Jesus is just a dude, really good one, but he's just a dude, then he needs a Savior too. Because he would have lied, he'd be lying to you about his own, about who he is and what he's accomplished. If he's been lying to you, then he himself needs a Savior, and you're on the hook for your own. So that Jesus Christ is truly God is absolutely fundamental to the truth of our salvation, and it's reflected in the Trinity. And the fifth thing is, the church has, continues to fiercely hold to this truth. 
The Athanasian Creed, I talked about that at the beginning, where you say it, it takes a long time to say it, and it takes a fair amount of explaining to do. Here's the essence of it. And when we say Catholic faith, when it's a small c, it means universal. Do you know that? I don't know. Small c means universal. The Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in three persons, and three persons in one God. Period. Full stop. Why does it matter? Here's the reality. How am I doing? Okay. We might finish early. Don't bank on it. Here's the reality. You know why we use 666? Why that number is in Revelation for the Antichrist? Are you familiar with that? 666, right? You all know. It's in popular culture, right? It's because it's, it's a counterfeit the true holy trinity would be represented by the numbers 777. Those are holy, perfect, divine numbers in Scripture. 777. So 666 is a counterfeit. Kind of looks like it. I kind of feel like it. But it is a counterfeit. And you cannot count on it. You cannot trust it. But it's real. So here's what I got for you, these last two points. Why does this matter? I want to apply faith to life. So I just gave you all this background. I don't know what you'll remember of it, but you should know that. We believe in one God. Scripture teaches it. It's all throughout Scripture. It's essential to our salvation, right? And we're going to fight for it. We're going to hang on to it. But here's why it matters, to apply faith to life. You would say to people, you know what? There's an unholy trinity in this world, and I'm actually part of it. Our catechism says it this way. In our explanation to the second article of the Creed about Jesus Christ, who has redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature, purchased and won me from all sins, from death, and the power of the devil. There's your unholy trinity. We have a broken world. I'm a broken person. And I got an enemy who hates God. And wants me to hate God too. That's what we got working in our world. And I'm not looking at that conspiracy theorist. We've been preaching this long, much longer than any conspiracy theory, okay? Sin, death, and the power of the devil is an unholy trinity, and it's real, and that's honest. We wrestle with that, unless we're not being honest with ourselves. When we look in the mirror, we've got a wrestling match going on with one or two or all three of those. And sometimes the battle is harder than others, isn't it? That's why I'm so glad you're here, because we're, we're trying to fill you up with something different. Because we're grappling with that in our broken human condition. But the good news is this, last point. There's a holy trinity that's far more real. And that holy trinity who is our provider, our creator, the author of life, the one who has made us as the high point of creation, and we are the focus of his love, who has given us a noble and high calling, who has written our name on his hand and on his heart, who has chosen to make that journey and take on humble human flesh and endure all things which we endured without sin and took those bloody steps to the cross, endured the tomb, rose victoriously, and crushed the serpent's head. In the outpouring of his Holy Spirit, he has called you once again by name and through the waters of holy baptism made you his own child. He has cleansed us. He has adopted us. He has won us. And he has called us together with the greatest task the world has ever seen, which is to share that redemptive joy and power with the entire world. In his name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we may battle a real unholy trinity, but it has nothing. 
Where, O death, is your victory? Where's your sting? Thanks be to God who has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.